So last week we were talking about navigating a faith crisis, and we were talking about resiliency through the dark. I think this is really nailed it, and I'm thankful for the, I feel talkative this morning, but I have less pages of notes this morning, so I'm really excited about that. <laughs> but Pastor Randy said, tell, you know, what's, what's the, the title? What's the title? I'm terrible with titles. Here's what I, what's in my heart. Here's the direction we're going. And so I, hats off, cheers to the graphic folks who came up with this because it really hit it. This is really what we're talking about through the dark, navigating a faith crisis. And this, this comes from the faith crisis in my own life that I've walked through. And sometimes we don't realize how rough the road is that we are walking until we take a step back and we look at it. And I wanted to begin with um, my daughter, Kelly, who uh, lived many years in, in Paris, France, pastored a church there, actually became the pastor of the church, and they've since moved to Canada. And my daughter will this morning be preaching in Kelowna, British Columbia, Canada, and the reason is because of wildfires. You may have heard of the Canadian wildfires that has come to their city. And they have been watching the glowing. They've been watching as the fire comes over the mountain and starts to come down the mountain. And their city is, is really, really hurting. Their lead pastor... Um, their lead pastor asked her to take the service this morning, the last they knew was their backyard, their garden was on fire. They don't know if their house is on fire or not. But she will stand in a pulpit this morning and speak to people who have lost most of their worldly treasures. People whose lives have been turned upside down, people who if they're uh, worldly goods have not been destroyed. Their friends and their loved ones are walking through that because the wind has blown it into the city, and this is the state of where they are. But I saw, I saw her post this about, she said this on her Instagram, yesterday my family and I lived out the scenario of what would you grab in a fire? You know, what's important to you? What do you have that's important to you that you don't want to lose? She said, like, there, I, sometimes I get tired of being 10,000 miles. That's how far away I am from Kelly this morning. Sometimes I get tired of being 10,000 miles away from my kids when they're walking through the crisis of their lives. Just got to say. Like many others in our community, we packed a few things and left our home not knowing what the future would hold. But as I lay in bed at our friend's place with my baby girl curled up against my back last night, I thought to myself, I never prayed for an apartment full of stuff. I never prayed for trinkets and mementos and journals. I did spend some of my years of my life praying for a husband. I prayed that if it was God's will, he would give me a partner and and constant who, would, who was kind and gentle, and here my husband sleeps on the other side of the bed. I did pray for some years that God would give me a daughter, 
I didn't know how that would come to be, but I asked nonetheless, and here she is, one leg thrown over my waist after she flipped around in bed like a drunk trout for an hour or so. (laughs) With my stepson, my double blessing sleeping peacefully upstairs, and with another healthy babe safely tucked away in my belly, extravagant goodness. Prayed for friends, real friends when I moved here, and here they are, texting me and messaging me, offering places to stay, things that we need. Don't get me wrong, I like my stuff. The things we left behind have much value to us. They are not nothing. But even if we, like many in our community, lose our home, I can still say that God has been so faithful to us and me. Like the Hebrew exiles in Babylon, we still say our God is able to deliver us. Our God will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we will never change our minds Never back down, never stop believing in his goodness and in his faithfulness. And as she reached out to me, as she stands in that pulpit later today when the sun rises on Kelowna, Canada, her dad, who's been in ministry for 40 years, had these words to say. The building will be full to the ceiling with people needing something, some hope, some assurance from God. In a crisis, you stand at the helm of the ship in the storm, and you hang on to the wheel for dear life, and you steer. You have been assigned this task. Stand at the helm of that ship, curse the storm, hold on to the wheel, and let the people know that God is still God. Amen? God is going to bring the city through this. This is the time to hold on to the steadfast love of the Lord that never fails. They just need to be reminded that it will be okay. Folks, I know that when we walk through the darkness, sometimes the only thing we need is for somebody to say, I've been through the darkness before. Come on. Joy mixed with emotion there. I've been through the darkness before, and it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay, isn't it? You've walked through the darkness. It's okay. It's not what we want it to be sometimes, but it's okay. There's a time that you all need to be that person of faith that holds steady. And because you know, because you know, because you have experienced Because you've steered through the storm, sometimes you need to be that person in someone else's life that holds steady and steers through the darkness and through the storm. Because it sounds like a good thing, but it sounds like something none of us really ever want to be good at. But when you've learned how to steer through the darkness, then God will work in you and through you to help others steer through the darkness This is our story, and this is our calling. Come on, I want you to feel that. I want you to feel that. You can steer through the darkness because you've been through the darkness, and others are going through the darkness for the first time because we serve Jesus who is the light of life, and we have this confident assurance that he will bring us through. So, A review, faith crisis. A crisis is a time 
of intense difficulty or danger, a time when difficult or important decisions must be made. See, a faith crisis is when we come to a point where things have happened or are happening that are difficult to align with the things that we have believed. And as a review, what is a faith crisis? When we are transitioning through something that we do not understand and we cannot explain, this can create a faith crisis. It's when what we think we knew does not align with our perceived reality. This can create a faith crisis. And sooner or later, everyone has a faith crisis. It is those times when what our eyes see does not align with what our hearts have believed. This can create a faith crisis. I want to go to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 in the English Standard Version. Isn't Jesus wonderful? The more crisis that we walk through and the more our faith is challenged and God continues to show us who he is, the stronger our faith becomes, the stronger our belief becomes. This verse of Scripture saying, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him. Let's wrap our heads heads around that. Wow. I'm sorry, I cry. I'm a crier, but not all the time, only when I'm talking about Jesus. I mean, for the most part. But let's wrap our head around that just a little bit before we perceive. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross? What was the joy that was set before Jesus that caused him to endure the cross? Look at your neighbor. Look at the person next to you. You don't have to say anything. Just look at them because they are the joy that was set before Jesus that that enabled him to endure the cross, them. If there was a mirror, I would tell you to look in the mirror. But it was for us. We are that joy, our salvation, our redemption, our relationship with God, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners, such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. This scripture is telling us to look to Jesus as the example who endured much for the joy that was set before him. There is in the message version, which I like to go to because it makes things clearer to me sometimes. But we are to lay aside the things that hinder, run with endurance, and to look to Jesus because he showed the way. To look at this same passage of Scripture in the message version, do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, 
all these veterans cheering us on. See, those are the ones that have gone before us. Those are the ones that have laid the foundation. It means that we'd better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Just start running. Then it says, keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race we're in. What does that say? It says Jesus has already run this race. There are many that have gone before us that have already run this race. Stop, start running and never quit. Jesus who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it. We're going to talk about how do we develop resiliency so that we can bounce back. I haven't gotten to that point in the message yet, but keeping that in mind, study how he did it because he never lost sight of where he was heading. Remember that part. How did Jesus do it? He never lost sight of where he was heading. He never lost sight of the reality. He never lost sight of the big picture. He never lost sight of the why. He never lost sight of where he was going with all of this. That exhilarating finish in and with God, he could put up with anything along the way, the cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. And when you find yourself flagging in your faith, go over that story again. When you find yourself flagging in the faith, when you find yourself in a faith crisis, when you find doubt beginning to sweep over your soul like darkness, go over that story again. Go over that story again, item by item, that long litany of hostility that he plowed through, and that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. It'll help you bounce back. It'll encourage you to go forward. When you find yourself flagging in your faith. So here's the definition of resiliency. Because as I looked at it and I attempted to listen to the Holy Spirit about what he was saying to me in these messages, you see, the very real reality is that I, we have walked through a faith crisis. I've, I've shared that with you, but I began to realize. And while I was in the middle of it, I realized what was happening. You know, one example that just came into my head was shortly after the loss, um, and for those of you who might be here for the first time, um, suddenly without warning, one Saturday morning, my wife of 33 years went to heaven. And, uh, you know, I could belabor the point, but the only way that I can describe what it felt is if I were to be, I can't even ask you to do this, but if you were to close your eyes and think about the person that you love more than anything else that has been more of an encouragement to you, more of a help to you, the person in your life, and then imagine them gone. And then you begin to understand just a little bit of what that's like. Um, and you see, every time I say that, I know that there's a fair percentage of people in this hall that you know exactly what I'm saying. A fair percentage of people in this hall, you know what I'm saying because that has happened to you. You know what that feels like. And so 
I was getting ready to lock up the house, and as I often do, it's just like, Lord, watch over all of our stuff, and I'm going to be gone, and let it be here when I get back. You know, we pray prayers like that. And I went to pray that prayer as I was locking up and getting ready to leave, and I couldn't pray it. I thought, I asked you to heal my wife, and she died a few hours later, and so I'm not even going to bother to ask you to watch over all my stuff. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And for years, it's been that way. I pray differently. I'm going to talk about this more next week, so I don't want to get too deeply into it. I pray differently because um, of that faith crisis. But resiliency defined is it's the capacity to withstand or to recover quickly from difficulties. Would you like to be able to withstand and recover quickly from difficulties? Sometimes the quickly part's in question. It's toughness. It's the ability of a substance or an object to spring back into shape, elasticity. This is what resiliency is, that we bounce back <laughs> when we get, when I'm thinking about one of those little cushy toys that kids have sometimes that, that looks like a little dinosaur or something and you crush it all down into a ball and you put it on the table and it just kind of starts coming back, you know, and then there it is again. That's resiliency. If we've been created in the, oh man, I, I, sometimes I get choked up because I'm thinking thoughts for the first time and I'm, so I'm experiencing this with you. But if we are created in the image of God, when we get crushed, then we're going to stretch back out because we were created in the image of God, and this is resiliency. Endurance is defined. They're somewhat related, but they're not the same thing. Endurance is defined as suffer patiently, to remain in existence, to last. And this message is about both hope, both resilience and endurance, but mostly about resiliency driven by hope. How do you bounce back? comes down to tenacity. Show the picture of the kudzu. This is kudzu. In the southern part of the United States, of which I am from, there is this plant called kudzu. Anybody ever heard of it? Good. That means it's probably not in South Africa. But it, it has a beautiful flower, and so I'm not sure exactly the story, but some people were using it as a house plant, and they discovered that if they put it on a hillside, it would cover the hillside and you wouldn't have to mow it anymore. It would take care of all of the weeds and you wouldn't have to mow anymore. Well, if you're ever driving through the southern part of the United States, you know, there are trees underneath those plants. They cover everything. And here's a picture of a house. The next one is a house that was covered. That, it's a little pixelated, but you can kind of see the chimney and the roof line, and this is what happens. This stuff just takes over everything, so you know what kudzu is. Used as a decorative houseplant, used as a ground cover, it is resilient. You can spray stuff on it. 
You can cut it down. You can pull it up, but it keeps coming back. This stuff is resilient. And so, as I've introduced a new species of plant to you this morning, it can also be very invasive and very frustrating, but it is resilient. I want you to be like kudzu, (laughs) that no matter what, you keep coming back. No matter what, you keep expanding. No matter what, you keep growing to the point that it's even like, wow, how do you stop this guy? How do you stop this lady? It's like you cannot because they are energized by the Holy Spirit. So endurance is when you just keep going and you don't stop, but resiliency is being able to bounce back after you've walked through a hard place. So let's get to the point of this. How do we develop resiliency? You guys can take that slide down because we don't want to look at that kudzu anymore. How do we develop resiliency? It's the willingness and decision and ability to bounce back. Willingness, decision, and ability. How do we cultivate resiliency? Okay, here's the first. Realizing and understanding our purpose. Realizing and understanding our purpose. This was reflected in the Hebrew passage, but there's a story in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 44. It's in the middle of a lot of descriptors about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like describing the kingdom of God, describing the value of the kingdom of God. And in Matthew 13, 44, it says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up, and then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. I don't know the story behind that. I know to me, I look at it, and I'm wondering if there's some dishonesty involved here that he wouldn't be forthright with wise. But this is all we're told, because it's not about... The man, it's about the field and it's about the treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field in which a man found, covered up his joy, goes, sells all that he has, and he buys that field. And so there is a realization of purpose and understanding that the treasure is far more valuable than the resources that we gather and expend. So that story is that Here a man is walking through a field, and it may not be that great of a field, and he sees this treasure, he discovers this treasure, he covers it up, he goes and sells everything that he has, he raises the resources to buy this property because there's a treasure on this property. It doesn't matter how nice the field is, it's the treasure. It doesn't matter what kind of living quarters or what kind of house is on the field, it's about the treasure. Doesn't matter if it has a septic or a sewer hookup, it's about the treasure. Doesn't matter if fiber optic internet runs to the field or not. I buy a house that doesn't have fiber optic internet coming to it. It's, it's about the treasure. The value of the field is not our measure, it is the value of the treasure. The value of the field is not the issue, it's the value of the treasure. We have to understand the issue. We often don't understand the issue or the purpose. Now, people often say to me, I appreciate your vulnerability. See, I can't be anything else because there is this treasure inside of me that has to be shared. 
All of this leads to life. Some of it's very difficult. Some of it hurts, but it leads to life, and I want you to know that. And I remember the day. My wife's name was Joyce. And I remember so clearly I can see everything in my mind when I promised her she would be okay. She said, I'm afraid. I'm afraid I won't see our grandkids. I didn't know what to say, and I'm really careful with my words, but in that moment, the only thing that came out of my mind is, you will see them and you will know them, I promise. And see, that hurt me for a long time because I promised something, and I didn't keep my promise, but I had no control over that promise. She was not okay, and she never met her grandchildren. Or is that true? Come on. Is that true? She is okay because she's with Jesus. She is okay because she's with Jesus. How can you be more okay than that? And as to the grandkids, I will keep my promise and influence them to know Jesus in any way that I can because she's going to see them if they will follow Jesus and they will decide to give their lives to Jesus. So now the rest to that promise is, I must do all that I can to pray for them, to believe so that she will see them in heaven. How is this possible? It's the resurrection. It's the resurrection. See, this is the bigger picture. If you've lost a child, hold on to the treasure of the resurrection. If you've lost a loved one, hold on to the treasure of eternal life. If you walk through many a dark night, let me tell you about a place where Jesus is the only light, and his light is sufficient to light the entire city. You see, you have to understand what the treasure is. So how do we develop resiliency, and how do we bounce back when we walk through tough stuff? Well, you got to understand the purpose you got to understand the big picture. you got to understand the treasure, the true treasure. Next, we are able to navigate the dark night by keeping proper perspective. We were just in Kenya, Nairobi, into the highlands of Kenya. I realized as we were transporting to the airport, that this is, I don't know, third, fourth, fifth, I don't know, through there. And I began to realize that when I look out the window that I had been seeing piles of garbage and wandering goats and half-finished buildings, structures to me that don't really look finished, Laundry hanging on all of the railings and all of the roofs because I was curious and I was just taking all of this in. But on this trip, as I was riding along in the transport vehicle, looking out the window, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, David, you're looking at the wrong stuff. See, you're looking through the wrong filter. You need to look differently. And I began to look differently, and I saw the beautiful trees and the beautiful fields, and I saw the beauty of Kenya, and I saw commerce, and I saw people active, and, and, 
And then I saw the people, the people walking, so many people created in the image of God. And I began to see the beauty of that country. And I began to see the beauty of those people created in the image of God. And it began to transform something in me. And this is related to the previous point, the point of understanding our purpose and treasure. We've got to understand perspective, which is being able to see things through the eyes of God. There's one story that has influenced me greatly, and it's the story of David and Savannah Flood. You may have heard this story. They were missionaries to the Congo in the 1920s from Sweden. They were Swedish missionaries. They moved to a certain place, and the chief of the village told them that they could have no interaction with anyone except one little boy who would bring them eggs and milk and would sell them food supplies. So the little boy would come, he would sell them the eggs, he would sell them the milk. They were not allowed to have interaction with any other person. Sevea came down with malaria. They had two small children. They had a little baby girl that was only a couple months old. Sevea came down with, with malaria. She died. The little boy died. David's heart was crushed. He became bitter toward God, didn't want anything to do with God ever again. He gave the little girl to, because he didn't know what else to do, he gave the little girl to some American missionaries that were also there. And when they went back to the U.S., they took this little girl with them. I know of this little girl and the man that she married. They greatly impacted theological education in the U.S., she knew of this story, and one day a magazine came to their house, um, and it was a Swedish magazine. She doesn't know how it came or why it came, but she got it translated because she saw a picture of, and it, it spoke of Savea Flood. She found out that their work had not been in vain. She traveled to Sweden where she found her father for the first time. And he was an invalid, he was bedfast, he was near death, and he had spent his entire life bitter and angry toward God. He told the children that he had after that, don't ever say anything about God to me ever again because this is what God allowed in my life. This is what God did to me and never would speak of it again. He found her, she found him. They reunited. She shared with him what she had found out, and through her loving influence, he came to faith in Christ Jesus once again before he died. Sometimes things seem so slow. Sometimes it seems that we pour our life into things and nothing comes from it whatsoever. Such great sacrifice and nothing comes from it. But see, the rest of the story is that little guy that sold the eggs and the chickens and the milk. That little guy, they told that little guy about Jesus. One little guy, one little boy, they told about Jesus. 
that little boy grew to a place of influence and he followed Jesus. He became the leader of our fellowship in the Congo. 110,000 believers in that fellowship that this little boy as a man was leading. The Bible says, they who sow in tears will reap in joy. See, the big picture and the perspective is we don't know. We don't know how God is working. We don't know how God is moving through our dark night and through the things that happen in our lives. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. When we know the rest of the story, we will, reap, we, we will rejoice with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Perspective allows us to do this. In Galatians 6, 9, it says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Sometimes when you walk through that dark night of the soul, the only thing you can do is not give up with the perspective that God is going before you and God is with you. How will we pull it into perspective? We've got to get up 12,000 feet. 12,000 meters and see the big picture of what God is doing. If you do not have that perspective by faith, we must embrace that that perspective is reality. One more point, and that is resiliency in and after crisis depends on muscle memory. Depends on muscle memory. What is muscle memory? What is faith muscle memory? Those of you who exercise, you know what muscle memory is. Those of you that perform a task over and over, you know what muscle memory is. My friend has a farm and he has an excavator. It's one of those things with two treads on it and it's got a bucket that, um, that, that will dig. There's two joysticks and two pedals. At first, I'm thinking, okay, I want to move the bucket like that. So I'm thinking, okay, I have to do that to move it like that. And these sticks go in all directions. After a while, I learned that I couldn't think about if I want the bucket to go that way, I have to move this stick this way. I, it came to the point where all I did was think that I want the bucket to go in and my hand would automatically move. It's like if I decide that I need a drink of water, my mind doesn't say, I'm thirsty there's a bottle there. Take the bottle with your left hand, close your fingers, pick it up, bend your elbow and move it back toward yourself. Take your right hand and put it on the blue cap. Now turn it. Turn it more. Turn it just a little more. Now lift it off. Up, turn it a little more. Now lift it off. Now bend your arm up toward your face. No. See, muscle memory is, I'm thirsty. I don't think about any of the motions involved, right? None of the motions involved. That's what happened with that excavator. I wasn't thinking about what I needed to do to get it to move. The machine became a part of who I was. 
and spiritual muscle memory. Um, you know, listen, folks, I get like, I don't want to keep bringing up my pain. I really don't. I'd like to just kind of forget about it. But God keeps saying, hey, there's stuff you learn there that you got to embrace. So my wife died November 17, 2012, and I, I let myself spin around for a few weeks. Kind of needed to recover. But I decided on January 1st, 2013, you know what I did? I went to the place where I have my quiet time, and I opened my Bible, and I opened my journal, and I began to go into the Word of God, and I began to write down what God was saying to me because that is what I did before. You know what I'm saying? This is muscle memory. Praying, listening, journaling the Word. I began to practice the presence of God again with intention. And here it is, Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. It tells us that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Character is the fabric of who we are. Character is our muscle memory. It's what we go back to. So the bigger question is, how do we develop our character? And so, folks, I want to tell you that what you do to develop spiritual disciplines in your life is important because that's the muscle memory that you will go back to. When we build our faith and we walk with God, that's what we go back to. It is elasticity that we always go back to the thing that we know. Why do people stop believing in God when they encounter a crisis? It's because the crisis is bigger than the faithfulness that they have developed. Why do people stop believing in God when they encounter a crisis? It is because the crisis is bigger than the faithfulness that they have developed. It could be because they believed God existed, but they did not know God. It could be because they heard of Christ and were okay with his existence, but were not in Christ. And see, the commitments that I make now are going to help me be resilient when the time comes. Our granddaughter... Eliana, who lives in Canada, when she was born, her nose was twisted to one side, like she'd been punched in the face. It's like, just like that, you know? Well, there's not a lot of space in the womb sometimes, you know, so, but we knew that it would straighten out, and it did. That's elasticity. It's bouncing back. And so, folks, a lot more I could say there always is, but I'm going to bring this plane in for a landing. And that is, it isn't over. Jesus is still saying, those of you who are burdened and heavy laden, come to me and I'll give you rest. It isn't over. When the crisis leads you to Jesus and knowing him, then you know it's worth it. So we've got to understand our treasure. We've got to understand who Jesus is. We've got to understand purpose of the work that God is doing in our lives. And we've got to understand that we need the muscle memory that develops in our devotions and in our walk with God. So I want to encourage you in this. And today as we come to the close of this message, I want to encourage you in, as you walk through faith crisis, one of the things, as I thought about it, what are the three things 
that took me through my darkest night, and there are many of them. I talk about the big one, but there's a lot of them. There's a lot of dark nights, but it's learning to trust God and just trusting when you don't understand what's going on. This last week, it is resiliency, developing a faith muscle memory that helps you bounce back. Next week, we'll talk about relationship. But what if you don't have that muscle memory? Sooner or later, you're going to need it. And we come to Christ, you may be here thinking that you're on the fringe because there's been difficult things that have happened in your life. How do you navigate that? I don't want to get into next week too much, but it's the relationship of being with God and seeing who He is, what He's able to do. It's gaining that perspective of how God has walked with us. It's trusting Him. It's believing in Him. What do we do when we walk through that place? What do we do if the power grid fails? What, if, what do we do if there are floods? What do we do if we walk through difficulties? What do we do when we face crisis in our lives? We look to the treasure who Jesus is and what he's done in our lives.